Bring the love of Wisconsin's outdoors in through the beauty and quality craftsmanship of Pella Windows and Doors. Lock in your prices by February 28th and get 0% interest for up to 48 months. Visit PellaWI.com. Certain restrictions apply. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Come join the conversation on the Old National Bank Talk and Text Line. Old National Bank. Get old. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Um, Mike Spaulding started out his newscast by saying dreary day, and I think maybe that's a that's a good word. These are days that it's very difficult to do a show like this. We... Um, we, we talk a lot on my program about law enforcement and the challenges that law enforcement faces and the impact of crime in the community and things like that. And today, all that comes home to roost. For the fifth time in the last five years, a Milwaukee police officer has lost his life in the line of duty. For, for those of you who, who haven't been following details, they have not released the name of the officer yet. He's 37 years old, been on the Milwaukee Police Department for four years. He Here's what what happened. Um, Last night, about 11.25, there was an armed robbery that occurred in the 3600 block of West Good Hope Road. So that happens about 11.30 last night. Two hours later, 1.16, police get a call that they think that the uh, suspect... The person who was involved in that robbery a couple hours earlier on West Good Hope Road, he's in the 2700 block of South 14th Street. So a number of District 4 officers respond looking for somebody who'd been involved in the armed robbery. Um, Officers encounter a man who, uh, this is now just par for the course around here, um, ignores their commands to halt and flees on foot. Police give chase and catch up to him. At that point in time, there is a struggle. The suspected armed robbery pulls out a gun and fires shots, uh, strikes one of the officers. I believe the officer was involved in, in the chase. That officer also discharges his weapon. He is hit. He dies. Um, later on at the hospital, the bad guy, the armed robber, the guy fleeing from the police, the murderer of the police officer, he dies at the scene. As far as I can tell, the last I heard, police hadn't said whether he died from gunshots fired by by the police officer or whether this was a, a self-inflicted gunshot wound. I, I don't know that for sure. The news, as terrible as it is, it, it gets worse. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620 there are a number of media outlets who are reporting on the individual who was the 19-year-old who shot the police officer. And, um, for example, Wisconsin right now has a background on this, and I, I've got a link to the, the story. Again, if, if you follow me, it's at Jeff Wagner at 620 WTMJ. Um, the, at least these reports, and I've seen them in multiple sources, say that the 19-year-old who killed the Milwaukee police officer last night was in court yesterday for sentencing on a hit-and-run charge and appeared in court, was first of all sentenced to 120 days in the House of Correction, and then the judge suspended that sentence. That's what what judges do. It's like... um, 
They'll say, okay, you having been found guilty, they give them a lecture, tell them never do this again, and as, as a punishment, I'm going to sentence you to 120 days in the House of Correction. And then they always pause, and then they say, but I'm going to suspend that sentence and I'm going to put you on probation. So the reports are that it was a 120-day sentence for hit and run, and he was then put on probation and turned out on the street. Um, if this, of course, turns out to be true, you, you've got another one of these things saying, well, if, if this guy would not have been put on probation, even if he had been given 30 days or 60 days in the House of Correction, he would not have been in a position to be committing an armed robbery less than 12 hours later and then um, involved in a shootout with the police. So those are details that are waiting to emerge. But like I say, a number of media outlets are, are reporting that You know, it's not just a uh, 19-year-old who was involved in the criminal justice system, but it's somebody who was immediately involved in the criminal justice system and turned back out on the street. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. There's many different aspects of of this story that that come together, and it's it's actually kind of the culmination of a lot of things that we, we talk about on the program, whether it's the willingness of people to commit crimes with guns, the willingness of people to flee from the police, the willingness of people to shoot at other people, including police, and breakdowns of the criminal justice system where people get caught for doing things and, again, if these reports are correct, are turned back out on the street right away. It's all that and a lot more. There's a number of different aspects of this story, but what I would like to do is use at least one or two segments of the program to have what I do from time to time, an electronic town hall. And I don't have a specific question, but rather... We'll open up the phone lines and our text line for your reaction to this this story. There's so many different avenues, and I, I this is the fifth Milwaukee police officer who's lost his life in the last who's lost their life in the last five years. And you know, just later earlier this week or late last week, we were talking about where are we going to get police officers? So who who is going to do this job? And for everybody who just wants to think of the police as an occupying force or wants to obsess with police brutality. This is the type of stuff that the men and women of the Milwaukee Police Department and the Milwaukee County Sheriff's Department and all law enforcement all over the region, all over the state and all over the country, these are the type of risks that they take on a daily basis. You get a call, hey, there's a suspect wanted for an armed robbery. You try to apprehend him, and one of the officers ends up dead. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Electronic Town Hall, your reaction to the murder of a Milwaukee police officer early this morning. We discuss in just a moment. If I sound frustrated... I am. Hello, Jeff. As a retired chief, I never had to experience the loss of one of my officers at the hands of a criminal. The pain Chief Norman and his department are feeling right now has to be unbearable. I can't imagine having to deal with that and trying to keep your officers focused on continuing to go out and protect the public. 
Rarely does national media cover the shootings, the deaths of police officers. What we do see are the isolated instances of officers making mistakes in the arrest of subjects fleeing from police. Now is a great time for the citizens of Milwaukee County to show their support for all law enforcement by lining the streets during the funeral procession of this officer and turning on their porch lights. It's time to stand together and show the criminal element that we're sick of all the crime and we stand with law enforcement. To which I say, you know, amen. Um, Jeff, this is horrific. The guy shouldn't have been on the street. When will the so-called leaders finally wake up and realize that what's going on now is a complete failure? Um, Jeff, another sad day for Milwaukee. If it's correct and the criminal was let out, um, maybe they should start charging judges that let these people go. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Mike in Illinois. Mike, you're first. Good afternoon, Jeff, and I don't blame you for your frustration. Um, I had several emotions. Uh, the first thing when I heard this morning was just shock. And then um, my brother-in-law is a Milwaukee cop, so when I heard the age of this person, I honestly felt some relief because I knew it wasn't him. Then I felt a lot of sadness for this guy's family and what they're going to have to go through. And now I'm just left with anger, anger at this liberal judicial system that allows this to happen ad nauseum. And yeah. These programs, the money they throw out these programs that don't help anything, in fact, seems like they make it worse. So um, I'm, just, I'm just pretty much disgusted, to be honest with you. Th- thanks for call, Mike. Well, th- that's, you know, that's, that, is, that is it. And uh, look, I mean, here's another deal. We'll, we'll wait to find this all out. I mean, I, I think the information I have is, is pretty reliable. And like I say, you can find other sources that name the, the shooter here. But, you know, this was, if, if he did appear in sentencing yesterday, put on probation, what's his way of celebrating getting out? Well, it's to go and to commit an armed robbery on 37th and Good Hope and then get into a a gun battle where he ends up killing a police officer and losing his own life. This approach, and, and the one thing we know, is by putting him on probation, it was just a complete and total joke. And and this this happens just on a regular basis. Now, thank God, it's not that everybody who goes out and commits crimes while they're on probation or, or whatever, it's not always taking somebody's life. But it just shows that this idea of let's just slap people on the wrist and let's give them a second chance and a third chance and whatever, it, it doesn't work. And sometimes it, it just even makes matters worse. 855-616-1620. Jeff, what a tragedy. What a senseless death. I can't imagine what drives these men and women to be on the police force in Milwaukee. They get all the blame and none of the credit. There's absolutely no support from the mayor, the Division of Crime Prevention, and most of the press. Well, you know, and I don't think that, in, in fairness, I mean, there there is support. Everybody in City Hall is outraged about this. There, there's no question about it. And if you saw Police Chief Norman's press conference this, this morning at 7 a.m., um, clearly he he is touched by this. You cannot be a career officer and, and not be touched by this and, and think that, okay, this this could happen to anybody. See, and that's that's the thing that goes on here. This could happen to anybody. Any of the men and women and I, I in the Milwaukee Police Department or any of the police departments around the area, this this is what passes for the new normal nowadays, where it's just gotten to be commonplace. We're going to commit crimes. We're going to commit crimes with guns. We're going to run from the police. We're going to shoot people when we get that opportunity. If if anything, 
what happened to the police officer last night was was just it was predictable. It was just a, a matter of time. And I honest to God don't understand how these police officers can go to work, um, you know, on a daily basis knowing they face this. Um, 855-616-1620. Let's talk to, um, let's see, let's go to Jimmy. On Jimmy, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, good afternoon. How are you doing today? Good. What do you think? You know, I, I feel your frustration. You know, um, our church hosted two of the, uh, we're blessed to host two of the funerals for the police officers. I have a lot of uh, officers that are friends of mine. And we got this desolate building on the north side called Northridge. Why can't we turn yeah. this into a detention center? You know, strike fear into these kids. It's, you know, we can't say overcrowding. We got so many potential places that we could use to build prison, you, yeah. know, you know, folding facilities for these kids. Let's get it together, Milwaukee. Let's, you know, let's, let's do the right thing. Jimmy, thanks for the call. Uh, and again, with it, you know, whether you think Northridge is the appropriate site for a juvenile prison, as we've talked about a lot, okay, so they're building a new one on the northwest side, a little bit to the south of Northridge. It's going to have 32 beds. What do you mean it's going to have 32 beds? It should have 320 beds. I mean, that that's what we should happen. And, and for whenever I, I say that, I, I get some of my, my liberal listeners who will say, well, you know, there's you're going to have to build more prisons. Yeah. Okay, we've got to the point Jimmy makes. We're, we're right now we're rolling in surplus dough, right? Right now, and while I believe that one of the best ways to do it is to make a major change in the tax structure to return a lot of that money to the people who've overpaid their taxes, I'm willing. I'm willing to say, boy, I would support an initiative to expand prison space. If that, if the problem is, you know, we don't have enough places to send, you know, dangerous juveniles or dangerous adults. If if that's the justification, I'm all in favor of that, and I think most people would be as well. Let's talk to uh, Dell in Lake Geneva. Dell, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah. Hi there. Um... I don't mean to take away anything from the police aspect from this, but I think it's time to start calling out the judges who are um, very lenient in making a sentence and then suspending it and letting go on probation, and this is what we happen, have happened. We're going into another election cycle. Let's know, the, I guess, the names of these um, officials who are allowing this to happen repeatedly. Yeah, Del, thanks for... No, no. Thanks for. I, I think that's a that's a fair comment. Now, I have not mentioned. I I have not mentioned the circuit court judge who had the sentencing. I I will. I, I want to verify, and I didn't have a time to do that beforehand because, first of all, the police haven't. It, it, it's it's media reports out there in the name of the suspect, and I, I'm pretty sure the information is right. Sometimes what happens, though, when you go to, like, the, the court system, sometimes there, there might be a judge that's in charge of the case, and that wasn't the judge that actually imposed the sentence. And, and so before I, I name the judge, I want, I'm waiting for that. But, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll name it. But this is – but, see, this is – this goes on – on a daily basis, and that's one of the frustrations about it. It's the okay. Here's the deal. I, I'm sick of this. Here, you were involved in. You know, uh, you you smacked into a car. It was hit and run. You you fled. Here, I'm going to give you 120 days. Okay, you're going to get 120 days, but then I'm going to put you back out on the street. I don't understand why we do that. Because if again, if this is accurate, 30 days. If they had even given the guy 30 days. 
I don't know that he might not have gotten out 30 days from now and committed an armed robbery and shot a cop. But if you would have put him in jail yesterday, he would not have been on the street in a position to murder a police officer last night. And for this idea, whoever thought probation was appropriate, obviously... Obviously, the 19-year-old didn't take probation as a deterrent because as soon as he got out on the street, he commits an armed robbery and then gets into this incident with the police officers. But I also raised the issue, and seriously, where where are we going to get the, the, the next round of, of, of police? Our number is 855-616-1620, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. I guess I would be specifically interested in hearing... The reaction from some of you who are in law enforcement, and I know a lot of people in law enforcement listen to this program, or have relatives in law enforcement, because I, I will tell you, this is this is one of the reasons that being married to someone in law enforcement is so tough and it's so stressful. Because look, here here's the bottom line. For, for most of us, our spouses get up in the morning and, and they go to work. They go to work at the insurance company or at the radio station or at the law firm or wherever. And... Chances are it's okay. You might have a good day. You might have a bad day. But you know your bad day is, hey, I got yelled at my by my boss, or I made a mistake. You know, in law enforcement, the bad day is you you don't come home again, and and that is so incredibly incredibly stressful for law enforcement. So if if there's people out there in law enforcement, your reaction to this, and what's so frustrating to me as well is there's so many people who just flat out do not understand that you know this is the risk that men and women in law enforcement take on a daily basis. Jeff, my only daughter and her husband are 30 years old with about 10 years each on the force. They have a two-year-old, a three-year-old, and one more on the way. This chills me to the bone. It chills my wife to the bone, and I'm sure it chills my daughter and son-in-law to the bone. God bless them all. Um, of course, I, yeah. And so, you know, when whenever you, when you watch the State of the Union tonight, and you see the, the president talk about the, you know, what happened in Memphis, and you see, you know, the people that are there to stand up against police brutality. And, and I understand that. And what I'm about to say does not condone what happened in Memphis in any way, shape, or form. It was wrong. The prosecution is appropriate. But you have to keep in line the, the big perspective. For every one or two rogue police officers, you've got a thousand men and women who are out there doing their job and putting their lives on the line on a daily basis. And this is the type of stuff that happens. Eight five five six one six one six twenty, which is the old National Bank talk and text line. Jeff, I got out of law enforcement a few years back. I got out because of the way society is going. I have a wife, a son, and there's too much to add. It's too much at risk for just a paycheck. I give the guys credit nowadays that want to do the job, but I got out and did something that was safer, and I don't have to worry about my family or not coming home at night. Jeff, my cousin is a retired police officer of 27 years. He has told me many, many times that the problem is the criminal justice system. They arrest these people multiple times, and they also get a slap on the hand. The problem it's gonna, is it's going to take somebody like a judge or a prosecutor or somebody has a personal family member impacted by this type of crime before the city does anything. It's very sad. Um, Jeff, this will be blown over by most of the press as soon as the poor officer is um, buried. Well, you, you hope 
You hope not. Jeff, my best friend's daughter is a policeman in Wauwatosa, and I constantly worry about her. She was covering the freighter campus earlier today and was in the trauma room with a bunch of MPD cops when the officer passed. She said it was a tough one. I'm afraid all anyone can do during these crazy times is pray. Well, I, I'm all in favor of, of prayer, but in this case, prayer prayer is not a, a solution. Um, it, it's it's not a solution. Um, and that's the frustration. Jeff, my son is in law enforcement. I was, um, I was in law enforcement. My grandfather was in law enforcement. I believe and will say we can't afford not to build more prisons. The city is losing many millions of dollars that they could be take, but they could be taking in by people like myself who will not go to the city to enjoy the many venues the city's officers offers. It's not worth putting my family in danger. Lock criminals up so law-abiding citizens can enjoy the city. Jay in Kenosha. Jay, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Jeff, my comment is responsibility uh, with that gun. When a police officer uh, sees that you're holding a gun, he'll say, drop it. And you are just to raise your hand, drop it, fall to the ground, and that's it. Somehow, somewhere, uh, an individual like that got a hold of a gun, whether he owned it or didn't own it. You're in a city, a large city like Milwaukee, Wisconsin, which is the size of Buffalo, New York. And, you know, life goes on for a number of industries. And the cops, the police, the sheriff, the state patrol are there and they're doing their job. It's sad. It's appalling. And I, you know, feel I'm not an officer, but I'm a citizen of the United States of America and proud that that I'm supporting the police. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it. Look, well, here, here's the deal. I mean, this you, you want to talk again about how stuff escalates. Now, if the information is correct, this is a 19-year-old. I do not know the ju- whether he has a juvenile record or not. I, I don't know. My guess is he probably does, but I, I don't know that for sure. But, I mean, here's the circumstance. So if the story is correct, he gets put on probation. Somebody's saying, well, well why do judges impose sentences and then, then suspend them? Well, there's a couple of things. First of all, it's the dramatic effect in the courtroom. I'm sending you to jail. I'm sending you to prison or whatever. And then pause after that effect has come in and then it's like but i'm going to i'm going to suspend it um and so you don't you don't get any sort of jail time at all but the idea is if you go out and you violate you know your probation what ends up happening is then you you go in and you have to serve your sentence well that that doesn't appear in many cases to be much of a deterrent if anything it appears to just simply reinforce the the bad behavior but to your point jay what what i understand happened last night is so the, the guy goes out he commits the armed robbery they find him two hours later and what is the one thing that we see nowadays in, at least in Milwaukee and maybe in other places as well. Nobody stops for the cops. Everybody runs. They see the suspect. They say, stop. 
I don't know if he was displaying a weapon or not, but he takes off. He, he runs. And, you know, as a result of this, then it, the, the whole thing, now it's just you've gone completely off the rails because now the police are in a chase. Turns out the guy is armed and he's willing to use the gun. And, you know, he the cop ends, the police officer ends up dead. The bad guy ends up dead. So, I mean, it, it doesn't it doesn't end well for anybody in this particular situation. But it's this idea that I, I'm going to run. I'm going to fight with the police. I'm going to pull out my gun. If, if, if again, well, first of all, it starts, if you hadn't committed the armed robbery in the first place, none of this happens. But, again, it's this willingness of people to, to just run from the police to try to get away and, and think, well, I'm sure the attitude is, hey, I'm going to run away. I'm going to get away. And even if I end up getting caught, well, not too many bad things are going to happen to me. Well, that, that didn't work out here because stuff, um, you know, stuff, you know, happened just about as bad as it could possibly be. Jeff, I was an MPS teacher. I saw police come into school and cuff criminal students only to see them truant or back in class a few days later. Um, that's it. Jeff, as you've stated many times, elections have consequences, and uh, liberal Milwaukee people are getting exactly what they elected. Um, well, it is interesting because the, the former mayor, Tom Barrett, I think, I think Barrett was basically a well-intentioned guy who just burned out. I, and I mean that. I think he, crime, he just didn't have any new ideas as to how to deal with it. Whatever ideas he brought with them, um, it just wasn't, didn't, it just didn't work. And I don't think he had any sort of ideas. So now you, you get, you get the new boss. And while I hear the mayor appropriately expressing outrage over the, the situations that happen every time there's a shooting downtown or every time there's a murder of somebody, I, I, I get it. And I appreciate that they're, they're, they are uniquely upset about this. Nobody enjoys this. But I'm not hearing, I'm not hearing solutions. I, I'm not hearing commitments other than, well, there's, there's too many guns on the street. Well, okay, that's true. But the fact of the matter is there's too many bad guys that have guns that are on the street and wouldn't be it nice to have politicians come up and say hey we're going to make a commitment we are going to identify that criminal element we're going to build the prisons we're going to put pressure on the judges once people commit crimes we want them off the street now maybe we're only going to get them off the street for 30 or 60 days or something but we're going to get them off the street it's what i keep talking about with the broken windows theory of law enforcement that the whole idea that that little stuff stops big stuff so I don't know. You have a guy who's been found guilty of, of hit and run. So you put him in jail for 60 days. You put him in jail for 60 days, and maybe that sends a lesson. Maybe he doesn't like that. So maybe he decides, no, I'm not going to go out and, and hold up somebody. Or, I, if, or I'm not going to run from the police and, and pull a gun and start firing it. Just maybe they, they do that. And, and even if it doesn't work, well, at least at least they're off the streets for 30 or, or 60 days or something like that. Jeff, where are the activists? You know, in these situations, they're all quiet. Yeah, I just and I know some of you disagree with me on this. But whenever we have an example of, of for example, what happened in, in Nashville, which I keep saying unacceptable, you have people by the hundreds that will run to the streets and, and protest you know, the, the excesses of the, the police officers who was involved there. But on a daily basis, 
when you have people murdered in a particular community, you know, two, three, four, what did we have? Over 200 people murdered in the city of Milwaukee last year alone. And, and, and it's crickets. There, there's no outrage. There's no people parading around the courthouse demanding longer sentences for the people who have committed crimes. There's no people protesting outside the house of the district attorney demanding that he end plea bargaining or things like that. You're getting none of that at all. But yet you, you have the isolated examples of police brutality and everybody's willing to go to the streets. I'm not saying that people shouldn't protest police brutality if they feel inclined, but wouldn't it be nice to see as much outrage from the much more typical and much more usual crime that occurs on a regular basis on the streets? At the top of the next hour, I, I want to talk about another law enforcement related topic and, and I know we, 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 we've been discussing this before as well but again I, I ask these questions rhetorically which is when, when is when is enough and enough uh, another situation where we're, it is it is but for the grace of God that there's not another a second police officer isn't dead today and it's a situation where again a, a reckless driver nearly hits a police officer I'll tell you that story and the Milwaukee Police Department says, hey, look, we're, we're issuing a lot more citations for reckless driving. Look, we're, we're, we're writing all these tickets. Well, I'm, I'm going to ask you the question about whether or not those tickets make any difference. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, this is something Governor Evers and the Republicans who control the state legislature and the district attorneys, maybe there's something we can get together on to make the streets a little bit safer and, and maybe – Coming on, on the day where you have a Milwaukee police officer who's lost his life in the line of duty, maybe it's something that can be a wake-up call to some of the people who make laws and some of the people who enforce laws to give them a little more latitude. All right, um, but that's going to come up, but I want to make sure we have enough time for the full discussion, so we're going to do that right after the top of the hour news. The um, As we discussed yesterday, the, this spy balloon stuff, with with China has now devolved into politics. The Joe Biden apologists say, "Well, there, there's there, there's nothing that we could have done. We had to, you know, let the the balloon fly diagonally across the entire United States, and we could only shoot it down after it got over the Atlantic Ocean because there was the possibility that, well, I, I don't know, debris could have fallen. So we we just had to like let this." this happened. And then there's the people um, who are saying, well, you know, we, we should have just, you know, gone ahead and just taken it out once we found it. I, I think to me, the interesting aspect of where we go moving forward is what happens the next time China or any other country, whether it's Russia or whatever, launches launches a spy balloon. And there's a real interesting piece in the Wall Street Journal. It's it, seen any other spy balloons lately? An $850 billion defense budget, and we can't detect a Chinese airship? Here's how the piece starts. The U.S. Navy is fishing fragments of a Chinese spy balloon out of the Atlantic Ocean, and each fresh detail about this episode raises new and troubling questions. A striking example is the news from the Biden administration that previous Chinese balloon incursions into the U.S. appeared to have gone undetected. This suggests there's a major hole in U.S. defenses that need closing, to which I say, you think? 
A senior defense official told reporters on February 2nd that a balloon incursion has happened a handful of other times over the past few years to include before this administration. Um, It is appearing to hang out for a long period of time this time around, more persistent than in previous instances. Um, Okay. The administration's attempt to, this is what the Wall Street Journal says, muddy responsibility is bad at most enough, but the revelation that at least three past balloon flights evaded U.S. notice is alarming, uh, which I, I think that's that's a fair statement. The Wall Street Journal says this after-the-fact discovery of the balloons isn't reassuring, since in a war there would be no chance for do-overs. The balloon was hardly a birthday party flyaway up to 200 feet tall, with a payload weighing more than 2,000 pounds, and potentially with explosive to self-detonate if China so chose to do. These details are supposed to support the Pentagon's case for waiting to shoot down the object until it crossed the Atlantic. But the Biden team is lucky the balloon didn't come down sooner in a populated part of the country. Yes, see, this, this is what I think the question we have moving forward is. Isn't, you know... What what happened? But it's what do we do the next time? And I would respectfully suggest that as a matter of national policy, maybe what we need to do is tighten up our air defense. So when you see a suspicious spy balloon or whatever, once it starts entering U.S. airspace, say in Alaska or whatever, we bring the damn thing down. Instead of saying, well, okay, now it's over our airspace and, and we can't do anything about it because... Uh, These commentators are right. It could be a spy balloon. It also could be a balloon that has a bomb in it or something designed to completely, you know, devastate the electrical system in this country or whatever. You you just can't allow these incursions to incur. So whether or not you think Biden dropped the ball or not, I think moving forward, the answer has to be, wait a second. What we're going to do is we're not going to allow this to happen. And we're going to figure out how it is that this giant Macy's Day balloon was able to somehow fly across the entire United States and nobody knew what to do with it. So maybe next time, once something starts coming into, well, unpopulated areas of Alaska, we figure out a way to force it to the ground and don't let it get this far. Maybe that's something that we can agree with on a bipartisan basis, whether you thought it should have been shot down over Montana or whether you thought it should have not been shot down at all, maybe we can all agree that we shouldn't have gone through this risk in the first place. And I do agree with what the Wall Street Journal says, you know, an $850 defense budget and we can't detect a balloon that's as large as three city buses. Kirsten Johnson, who... But it's interesting, she's been through a number of jobs lately. If you remember the name, she originally was the Washington Ozaki County Public Health Department head of that. She ended up resigning at the start of COVID because she felt that she wasn't politically supported you know, when she started imposing COVID restrictions. So she, she didn't like the fact that she wasn't getting support for, like, a lot of the COVID restrictions. So she, she left Washington and Ozaki County, and she went to Milwaukee, where she apparently thought that, well, in the city of Milwaukee, she took the job as their health commissioner. She thought, oh, I'm, I'm going to get a lot more support, probably from the liberals that run the city of Milwaukee. Well, that didn't last too long because she... um 
I guess, either wore out her welcome or got upset. She ended up resigning from that gig in January. She said she felt she was publicly shamed by an alderman um, when she was criticized by the alderman for some of the policies. Well, okay, she hasn't been on a, out of a job long because now Tony Evers has picked her up and he has hired her to be the Department of Health Services Secretary. So I, I'm just wondering, I mean, here, regardless of what the, her qualifications are, you have somebody who's kind of not been able to take the heat in particular kitchens. Oh, I, I don't like the controversy. I'm not getting politically supported in Ozaki in Washington County, so I'm going to go to Milwaukee. Oh, I'm not getting politically supported. I feel shamed here. So now I'm going to go take the, the state job. Like, that's going to change the dynamic much? Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. I, I, was, I was commenting on, on the whole balloon, balloon fiasco over the last week. And, and my point is, whether you think Biden screwed up or, or not, moving forward, we've got an $850 million billion dollar defense budget, you should be able to, you would think, be able to detect balloons um, that are, you know, the size of like three city buses that are, are coming from China or Russia or wherever and are coming into U.S. airspace and, and stop them. And, of course, one of our texters, and I, I'm not sure what the larger point was, says, well, don't you realize that they, they could have been containing, they could have contained chemical weapons or something like that. And, and I don't know if the point was... Well, that's why you don't want to shoot them down. Well, no, that's my point is that's why you don't want to let them get over U.S. airspace and you want to figure out a way to somehow force these things down. You don't want to allow some unidentified flying object to get over a population center because that's exactly the point. It could be carrying a bomb. It could be carrying, you know, chemical weapons and things like that, which is why you stop it in the first place. And you would think out of $850 billion and all the different things that we could do, we put a man on the moon, for goodness sakes, in 1969, you'd think we'd be able to, I don't know, identify a giant balloon before it enters U.S. airspace. But that's just me. Okay, I I mentioned beforehand, of course, we're all wrestling with the fact that you've got another Milwaukee police officer who's lost their lives and um, there's a, a number of memorials which are, are being, you know, the growing memorial outside Milwaukee Police District Number 4, which is where the, the officer worked out of. But, you know, th- there was yesterday a very, very real chance that we would have had, we had, would have had a second police officer who lost their lives, life in the line of duty. And once again, it's it's reckless driving. Here's here's the story. Um, this is the way they reported on Fox 6. Speeding driver nearly hits Whitefish Bay officer before a pursuit in Milwaukee. Here's the deal. Um, this is this is 5 p.m. And I, I want to admit that this, this hits home because I lived in Whitefish Bay for 30 years. Don't live there anymore. But I lived in Whitefish Bay for 30 years, and this... Where we're talking is the route that I took on almost a daily basis to go from my home in Whitefish Bay to um, the radio station on, on when we were on Capitol Drive. So here's what happens. And All right, police said an officer on patrol spotted a GMC speeding north on Santa Monica. Santa Monica Boulevard is one of the major north-south, I think you could argue that it's probably the major north-south 
road that goes through Whitefish Bay. Shortly before 5 p.m., going approximately 50 in a 25-mile zone. So we're not talking 5 a.m. We're talking 5 p.m., you know, right at the heart of rush hour in probably, you know, one of the very busiest streets in Whitefish Bay. You've got this GMC, you've got a car going 50 in a 25-mile-an-hour zone. The officer, according to the reports, tries stopping the car. Okay, well, I, I, I could... You know, take phone calls on this, but you all know what comes next. The officer tries stopping the car, but the driver, wait for it, speeds off, runs from the cops, blowing a red light at Henry Clay Street. Okay, Henry Clay in Santa Monica is, by the way, very close to where I used to live. All right, the driver then tries to pull a U-turn to go back south on Santa Monica, but overshoots the turn and starts backing up, stopping in the middle of an intersection. Again, we're talking 5 o'clock yesterday evening, and this is when people are coming home from work. It's when, you know, kids are, you know, coming home from after-school activities and things like that. Police say the driver ignored the officer's attempts to stop the vehicle and then drove in reverse on Santa Monica. The driver tried turning around in the median, The driver tried turning around in the median, but could not. Three squad cars surrounded the GMC in the median. The passenger was arrested. An officer was giving the driver commands to show their hands. Police say the driver ignored the commands, sped over the median, and almost hit the police officer. So you get the idea. You get this like chase that's right out of the movies. The car is now up on the median. They get the passenger out of the car, and they're they're going up. They're approaching the driver. Show your hands. Show your hands. And the guy guns it. Darn near kills the Whitefish Bay police officer. The driver then goes north in the southbound lanes, turns west onto East Birch Street which is right by where a friend of mine lives, and police then lose sight of it. So high-speed chase, I mean, it's just a debacle. And this is going on at 5 o'clock at night. It is but for the grace of God that whether it's the police officer or whether it was some kid walking home from school or whether it was somebody out on the streets or somebody in their car, it's but for the grace of God that they're not dead. All right, so then what happens is police see the car later on, They try stopping the vehicle. They say the driver took off again. The pursuit by the Milwaukee Police Department this time ends ends in a crash, and ultimately the driver is arrested, um, ultimately on 77th and Villard. 77th and Villard. So you go from Whitefish Bay a couple blocks off the lake, and you end up on 77th and Villard, but they end up catching the guy. All right, so presumably there will be charges, and my guess is there's a reason why he ran. I don't know if the car was stolen or not. It probably was. Don't know if the guy has a criminal record. He probably does. Let's let's face it. But you have another one of these examples where you just run through the facts of this, and it's a miracle that somebody's not dead. It just it is a flat-out miracle that the cop who almost got run over wasn't dead or that somebody else that crossed in the path of this jack wagon, you know, wasn't killed along the way. So where are we going with this? Well, the, the Milwaukee Police Department um, have, have already, you know, they've said, hey, look, we're, we're being more aggressive 
with you know writing writing traffic tickets. According, I'm looking at the story. According to data from the Milwaukee Police Traffic Safety Units, officers have already written 840 traffic citations this year, and of those 840 traffic citations, nearly 20 percent, almost one in five, were for drivers were for drivers going at least 25 miles an hour over the speed limit, 65 or more in a 40, 50 or more in a 25. So they're giving out tickets. They're stopping people, and they're giving out tickets for reckless driving, and they're giving out tickets like popcorn. And and I, I I don't have a problem with that. I'm one of these guys that say, pull them over, catch them, let's hold them accountable. But here's... here's what is so self-evident to me. The tickets don't matter. The tickets just don't matter. And as I've said this before, people get these citations for reckless driving. They they could care less about getting a citation. Most of the time, I guess, they don't have a driver's license. Or if they've got a driver's license, it's a suspended license. They're probably driving a stolen car. There's probably no sort of insurance behind it. So you give them a ticket for 300 bucks or 500 bucks, and you say, well, this is going to be four points on your license. They don't care. It doesn't matter. It might matter to you. It might matter. It would definitely matter to me. But it doesn't care. The people that are driving 50 in a 20-mile zone or 70 in a 40-mile-an-hour zone, they don't care. You can stop them. You can give them all the tickets you want, and it's not going to make any difference because they're going to ball up the tickets. They're going to throw them in the back seat of the stolen car or whatever, and they're going to continue to drive like that. So giving tickets, and, and I, I, appreciate, I appreciate the effort, but it doesn't do anything. So let me revisit, revisit something we talked about a couple weeks ago, and, and maybe this is something, just maybe, you know, if Governor Evers is serious about trying to make the streets safer and doesn't have any, and he can talk about something other than gun violence, and maybe this is something that the Republicans who control the legislature would do, let, let's just talk about this idea that I have thrown out. Let's stop making reckless driving a traffic violation. Let's stop making reckless driving unless you hit and kill somebody. Uh, uh, let's start making this, this a crime. You know, drunk driving... First time is a civil ordinance violation. After that, it's a crime. Why wouldn't we do the same for reckless driving? All right, the first time you get caught going 25 miles an hour over the speed limit. All right, you get a ticket. Okay, I'm I'm, I'm okay with that. Assuming, you know, you're not running from the police or you don't hit and kill somebody. All right, you've now gotten caught. You get that ticket. The next time you do it, it, it's it. It's zero tolerance. It is a crime. And you are prosecuted for a crime, and maybe maybe we put a mandatory thirty or sixty days in jail for the first for the first criminal offense, the second reckless driving case, and maybe we seize your car the third time or something like that. But you know, I, I'm open to suggesting these things, but isn't it time to start locking up the people that are driving fifty in a twenty mile an hour zone? You give people one chance. And after that, and let's also be honest here, with all due respect to our friends in law enforcement, you, you, they're not that good. 
Law enforcement doesn't catch everybody the first time they do it. It's like drunk driving. People drive 10 times drunk before they get caught. Maybe people drive 20 times drunk before they get caught. But people drive recklessly on countless occasions. The number of times they get caught is a fraction of that. But by the time you get caught for the second offense, maybe we should treat it as a crime. And maybe that would discourage you from driving that way, or at the very least, it would get the reckless drivers off the street for a little while. And yes, before you text me, I recognize that means that we might have to wait for it, build more prisons, to which I say, so what? I'm willing to pay for it. How about you? 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line we discuss in a moment. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, I, I every day we talk about one of these reckless driving stories. Yesterday, a Whitefish Bay police officer almost lost his life with people who could care less about traffic laws and whatever. And, and yeah, the, the Milwaukee Police Department are not faulting him for this because they're, they're doing all they can do. Well, we're giving people tickets for reckless driving. That ain't working. It's not working. So how about we start to say, all right, we're going to change the laws and we're not going to just limit you to tickets. You know, you drive 25 miles an hour over the speed limit. We'll, we'll let you get away with that once when you get caught. But after that, it's reckless driving. It's a crime. Maybe we take your car and at the very least, you go to jail for a little while. 855-616-1620. Let's start with uh, Doug in West Bend. Doug, you're first. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, my thoughts on this are you have to be joking because the DA won't charge anybody. Why get upset? Well, I, I, I get upset because, I, I guess, for example, the story yesterday, I know that neighborhood. I know lots of people there, and it's but for the grace of God that, a bunch of people didn't die last night at five o'clock and so maybe I'm, I'm upset because i want to at least give people tools to get some of these people off the streets and if john chisholm refuses to prosecute people well maybe in 2024 milwaukee county needs to wake up and elect a new da who will hold bad guys accountable lots of luck on that well, th- thanks for the call, Doug. I, I appreciate it, but I'm not willing. I, I, I'm not willing to give up. Now, I understand maybe the DA's office has given up, maybe the judges have have given up, but I, I just I don't think the rest of us should give up. This is one where I think the general public is so far ahead of the chattering class and the talking heads when it comes to enough is enough. I mean, what have we had um, at the end at the end of January? You had had, what, eight people already in just the city of Milwaukee. And we're not talking Milwaukee County, but eight in just the city of Milwaukee who had died from reckless driving. In the first month of the year, that's on a pace for almost 100. And sometimes the reckless driver that drives, like the one the other day where the guy is drag racing down the street on Sunday morning, loses control and smashes into a house, sometimes it's the reckless driver. But more often than not, it's that innocent person, the person who's the the pedestrian or the person who's the passenger in the car that gets uh, slammed on the side when the idiot runs through the the red light. And, And yes, I understand when you hit and kill somebody, that becomes a crime. I'm just saying maybe we need to make it a crime before that. Is there really an excuse for somebody driving 45 miles an hour over the speed limit and blowing through a red light? Why shouldn't 
that be criminal? Larry and Fond du Lac. Larry, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hey, Jeff. Um, I have no problem with criminalizing the reckless driving. However, I, I struggle because, you know, we're not uh, arresting and prosecuting people for car theft. We don't have yep. enough officers to go and investigate home robberies. I have friends who live in the city that you call and say your house was burglarized. The police don't even come. So how do we take the? How do we have enough officers to address reckless driving yep. when we can't investigate auto theft and home home invasions? I mean, you know, what what's no. the priority? Well, no, Larry, thanks for the call. And I think that that's a fair comment. But okay, so keep in mind, though, in the examples I'm giving, that they're they're stopping these people for reckless driving. They're just giving them a ticket. I'm saying, so this isn't even, you know, who knows if they made it a priority, who knows how many more people they would catch. I'm just saying the penalty for those people that they are catching for reckless driving is a joke. So instead of, here's a ticket for 300 bucks or whatever that you have no intention of paying and that there's really no way we could force you to pay it, well, now we're going to say, all right, this is the deal. Now, you know, we're going to have to put you in jail. Now, I do understand, and by the way, you are preaching to the choir, I mean, I think our approach to crime has gone so far off the rails over the last several years, and it's it's whether we're going to bend over backwards to try to not hold people accountable or judges who don't want to get the defense attorneys upset with them or don't want to upset certain segments of the community or whatever, that they have just completely and totally, you know, ceded, C-E-D-E-D, given the, the streets over to the, the bad guys. I'm just saying it's time to take this back. And if this means hiring more police officers, I'm in favor of it. If it means hiring more prosecutors, I am in favor of it. If it means replacing John Chisholm and getting a district attorney in there who is willing to aggressively prosecute these cases, I am in favor of it. If it means replacing the judges who won't hold people accountable, I am all in favor of it. But the only way this is going to happen is if people step back and say, we've had it, enough is enough. And, you know, this is where, you know, we have to, you know, start taking stuff away. Jeff, while we totally agree with crime is egregious, um, it doesn't make any difference to the individuals in power um, or those that can truly address the system. Um, yeah, yeah, well, that's that's the case that's there. Um, I'm just going to tell you. It, it it's one of these situations where, you know, and there's some people out there saying, well, you shouldn't talk about this. Well, what do you mean you shouldn't talk about this? You know, we got to talk about this unless you're willing to just build a fence around certain areas and just say, all right, you're, you're on your own when you come in here. Hey, Wisconsin, it might be cold out now, but soon it's going to be warming up and you'll need to get your home ready. That's why I'm here for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. And this week we're brought to you by Kohler Services, Wisconsin. Learn more about what they have to offer at KohlerServicesWI.com. It's the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase on WTMJ. All right. We have talked about controversial topics. Let us continue this story in uh, I'm looking at I've seen it in a couple different places but this is the one I'm looking at it comes out of the Wall Street Journal you will remember a couple years ago at the at the height of, of COVID a number of 
private businesses and a number of municipalities and a number of states started issuing mandates of vaccinations. They said, okay, if you want to be an employee, if you want to work here, you have to be vaccinated. And some of them had exceptions for religious objections or things like that, and some of them just didn't. And as a result, a a certain percentage, and it depends on the community and the job, but a certain percentage of, of people just said, I'm not getting vaccinated. If you are a regular listener of this program, you know I am not an anti-vaccination guy. As I say all the time, I've gotten, I got, I got my COVID shots, I got my boosters. I'm one of these guys. I don't have adverse reactions to the things. I talk to my doctor. He says I think it's a good idea, so I get it. That's that's kind of my response. And maybe you know, five or ten years from now, I'll I'll regret it. Maybe there'll be some you know unanticipated problem. But I'm not an anti-vaccine guy. I didn't have to be forced to do it. I got the vaccinations as soon as I was able to. But there are people out there who disagree with me. And there are people out there who don't think that they should be forced to get vaccinations as a condition of working. Well, here's the interesting story. New York City, which was one of the aggressive municipalities that said, okay, if you want to work, you you have to be vaccinated. New York City will end COVID-19 vaccination mandates for municipal workers. The vaccination mandate will also end for the city's Department of Education employees. This would be the teachers. Uh, The mayor said the vaccinations will be optional for current and prospective city workers beginning February 10th. They say that with more than 96% of city workers and more than 80% of New Yorkers having received their primary COVID-19 series and more tools readily available to keep us healthy, this is the right moment for that decision. The vaccine mandate will also end for New York City Department of Education employees. And then the story goes on to um, talk about it. They say that many workers in New York City and other cities were fired over the vaccine mandates. Approximately 1,800 former New York City employees who were fired for failing to submit proof of vaccination won't automatically be given their former roles back and must apply for their positions again. All right. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. Now, different communities have different rules. And, And this... This conversation now isn't about, okay, should, should an employer have the right to mandate that you get vaccinated or not? Now the question is, given where we are, the fact that the president says the pandemic is over, should employers, should cities do what New York is doing and drop the vaccine mandate? They essentially say, hey, look, most of the people that got that, that we're going to get vaccinated, they have gotten vaccinated. Huge percentage of people were close to that herd immunity point. COVID continues to change. And while COVID is still there and people still continue to get COVID, um, as a general rule, the, the people who get COVID don't die from COVID, or at least they don't die from COVID like you know people were dying from COVID two years ago. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. Is it time to drop vaccine mandates? What do you think? We discuss in a moment. 855-616-1620, that's the old National Bank talk and text line. Look, w- without regard for whether you should have ever had vaccine mandates in the first place, 
I think what New York City is doing now is exactly the right thing. To the extent that there was an ever a justification for saying, hey, you got to get the COVID vaccine two years ago, I, I think that time has passed. The, the president has declared that the pandemic is over. People are, in general, over COVID. And that's just the, the reality. People are getting together in large groups. Now, maybe people's behavior has changed a little bit. And I understand there's still people wearing masks out there from time to time. And that's great. I don't have a problem with that. But people are getting together in large groups. Everybody who's wanted to get a vaccination has had an opportunity to do that and get the booster shots. We're, I think, very, very close to that herd mentality. The people who are getting COVID, well, now it has been. It is kind of like the the it's becoming that endemic sort of, of thing. And I'm not saying that you should go out of your way to try to get COVID. But at this point in time, the justification, I think, for vaccine mandates has passed. And nowadays, I think a lot of doctors are even split on, well, OK, do you, do you get this booster? Do you get that booster? How many boosters do you need? Let's start with Leah in Waukesha. Leah, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for having me on, Jeff. Hi. Um, I do believe everybody else should follow, and I I guess I have a bigger part in this. My daughter and her husband live in New York City. He's been a public high school teacher for 22 years, and he was terminated when he refused to get it for religious reasons. And he's been out of work for 16 months, excuse me. And there is a class action suit against the city, and they go to trial tomorrow, and this could not have came at a better time because these 600 teachers have proof that the vaccination shouldn't have been mandated. So this court date is tomorrow, and we are anxiously awaiting to see what happens. Do you uh, so your your son-in-law it was your son-in-law, right? That's what you said. Yeah. Was it re- it was religious reasons why he made the decision not to get it? Uh, he has not had an immunization in his 50 years of life. Okay. His parents didn't believe in it. He did not. He had a good reason for not having it. Got they it. didn't accept it. They've been out of work. They're making it work. But he has been out of work. And I, we were so grateful this happened yesterday because Wednesday is the big court date. Interesting. Um, Leah, thanks for the call. Yeah. I, I wasn't aware that that, 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 that the trial was starting, that there was a class action lawsuit or anything like that. But it, But it is... I mean, look, there's no question about it that they lost a lot of good people, these vaccine mandates. And um, I I, want to have an asterisk with my conversation for people who are in health care. I've always seen that as as different. I mean, there's a number, I think, all the major hospital systems around, you know, southeastern Wisconsin require flu shots and things like that. And the the justification, if you're working around sick people in a hospital or a medical center, you you can maybe make that as more compelling than I think you can, again, for just like the average employee. I mean, if you're if you work in the city clerk's office and you're not necessarily coming into contact with sick people or anything like that, okay, whatever the justification was in the beginning, now the pandemic is over. I think we are largely over COVID. Now, I say that, and I will get a text from somebody with a compromised immune system who, who lives in fear that they, they're going to get it, and I appreciate that, but that's, that is now the if not the unicorn, that's you know one of the the very rare situations that's out there. I think we're we're, we're past this, and to continue to require people outside of that health area or whatever to get vaccinations, I think I, 
I think it's absurd. We we don't have to show our COVID cards anymore to go places. So does it really make any difference? Tom in Freedom, Wisconsin. Tom, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Well, hi, Jeff. I uh, listen to you every day here in the bus. I, Thank so you. anyhow, my um, we had our shots. We had all the shots. Our daughter was a hygienist, and she would not take any for her whole family. Our bus company, I'd say our local bus company, five. 50 to 60 percent never had shots, and a few of us did. And um, they never really got sick. Maybe one guy looks a little sick. But anyhow, on the news this morning up here, it was either on the Fox News or it was on uh, WBAY up here, there was something about the shots may affect now after years have gone by people with hives. And my wife has had hives terrible for years, and they got to fight it all the time. And uh, so she wasn't too happy, and she said, we're not getting any more boosters. We had all the ones we're up to, and even our shingle shots. So, yeah. But that's it. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't mandate it either. Yeah. No, thanks for the call, Tom. Well, it, it, it is always it is interesting. Like I said, I, I, I hope my wife doesn't mind me telling tales out of school. The um, She has adverse reactions to, to this, and, and she had an adverse reaction to the COVID shots, but she got both the, the first one, she got the she got the second one, and then she got the first COVID booster, but she, she had adverse reactions to it. I don't. So, I mean, I got the second booster, but she, in consultation with the doctors, kind of made this decision that, well, you know, okay, we'll, you know, she's had COVID once or twice over the, the last couple of years and hasn't gotten that sick with it, just kind of made the decision that that's kind of the balancing act. But again, I, I'm not anti-vaccination, and I think this is a decision you make, you know, in consultation with your doctor and all, but at this point in time, whatever justification there may have been two years ago to mandate non-healthcare workers... Um, to get the vaccination, I, I think that that's gone. Now, somebody says they think nursing home workers should still have it as well. I kind of lump that into the whole health care area, right? If, if your job is working around people who are particularly vulnerable, I, I think you can you can do that. But if it's not specifically related, if it's just, again, you're you're the clerk in the Register of Deeds office or whatever, what, what purpose are we serving now? Have we moved past that? Randy in Algoma. Randy, you're on WTMJ. Yeah, thank you for taking my call. I would Hi. echo your, your previous caller about uh, the mandates and stuff. They should have never been legalized in those communities or cities. Um, people complain about losing freedoms or rights, and they were forcing you to make a mm-hmm. decision between your livelihood and and uh, your rights. Um, well, Randy, what would you what would you say about the health care? What do you think about the hospitals that required it? Do you, do you think that's different? Because I guess I've always seen a difference between, again, somebody who's frontline, you know, working with patients maybe, and somebody who, in my example, is the clerk in the Register of Deeds office. Do you think there's ever been any justification for mandates for anybody? No. I okay. know of some people that were in the healthcare business, and they they were against it, and they yeah. really, really, really struggled with making the decision um, which way they oh, were yeah. to go with that. Um, I don't know anybody personally that that had. Um, well, I do know some that had some ill, adverse effects, right. like your wife did. Um, yeah, but I've heard of many cases of people having severe cases or even death. Yeah. Well, 
Yeah, I, I know, Randy. I mean, thanks for calling. I mean, again, I don't know. And I, by the way, I, I don't. I mean, my wife had an adverse reaction. I don't want to suggest that it was like a life-threatening thing or anything like that. But she did. She had what I would describe as an adverse reaction to this. I, I guess. I, again, I just I look at this and with the risk of repeating myself, I think. I, I think the. I mean, the justification at the beginning of, of COVID. It, remember, we were all talking about herd mentality, and the idea was we, we've got to do all this stuff till we get to a point where X number of people ha- have either had a vaccine. You know, remember the time we didn't even have the vaccines, either had the vaccine or had COVID, so they built up that, that natural immunity. Well, now, now we're at that point. And the fact of the matter is COVID keeps mutating. So I, I don't I don't know that those those first round of COVID shots that I got two years ago or whenever that was, I, I'm not sure that that even protects you anymore against the, the newest strains. I, I mean, I, I and I think I think that that's kind of the conventional wisdom nowadays is that if you've got the boosters and stuff, we can't guarantee you're not going to get COVID, but you're probably not going to be as sick, which is to me, it's a justification for making the choice. It's why if my doctor says, okay, this is a yearly thing, Jeff, and you get the flu shot every year here. I think you should do this every year. I, I, I'm going to go along with it. And maybe like I say, 10 years from now, it'll turn out to be a really stupid decision, but I'm going to, I follow what my doctor says and I'm going to go along with it. But Keep in mind also, like the, the medical systems and stuff, the hospitals, we don't have enough nurses now, and the hospital systems lost, I don't know whether it's 3% or 5% of the employees, employees that they really couldn't afford to lose over this particular issue. I know a number of other people lost their job over it, and to the extent that it's not, well, like a healthcare sort of thing, and you can define that broadly, I think it's way past time to end these different mandates. My goal is to learn something new every day. And sometimes sometimes it's big stuff, and other times it's kind of like little stuff. And you go, huh, but I always try to learn something new every day. And that's uh, about a month ago or so. I got this pitch from USA Today that they said, okay, for a dollar. You know, you, you can get you can get us for six months for a dollar. And then afterwards, it and so I thought, okay, well, here's the deal. I'll, I'll mark my calendar. I'll take it for a dollar for six months, and then... Uh, I, there's no way I'm going to pay whatever they typically charge, but I'll, I'll have it for six months. So USA Today actually provides me the thing I have learned today. Uh, paper clipping. Is your ex popping up out of the blue? Careful, they may be paper clipping you. Paper I have. I've never, I mean, I know what a paperclip is, and, and yes, I paperclip things all, to time, all the time, but I've never heard that phrase. So paper clipping. It is a term, and see, we nowadays, this is 2023, we have terms, of course, for everything. Paper clipping describes when an ex reaches out intermittently, not because they're interested in you, but rather to keep you on the back burner as an option. It's similar to breadcrumbing, and it's intentional, often used by narcissists, according to relationship experts. So paper clipping is when an ex reaches out intermittently, not because they're interested in you, but rather to keep you as, as like a fallback thing. It's similar to breadcrumbing. Well, this then prompted another question in my mind, which is, what is breadcrumbing? Because <laughs> I've never heard of breadcrumbing either. Well, all right, I, I won't make you wait through the break. Breadcrumbing is the act of giving someone just enough attention to keep them interested without exerting much effort or committing. Simply, it's an act of leading someone on or stringing them along, usually, usually with the use of technology. 
Practically, this can look like someone sending you sporadic, flirty texts, social media interactions, or hints at meeting up with never without them being specific or following through. I am so glad I am not in the dating pool because I don't have to worry about breadcrumbing or paper clipping or any of this other stuff. But now at least we both know those terms, courtesy of USA Today, and I guess worth a dollar for six months. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's the Jeff Wagner Show. Now, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Obviously, kind of a, a heavy program today based on all the crime news and that the horrible story about the 5th Milwaukee police officer in the last five years who's lost his life. I've got one more kind of heavier topic, and I want to finish up on a little bit of a lighter note. I, I this, this story goes back about a year, and I, I want to get your reaction to this lawsuit. If you haven't seen... The video of this, you can follow me on Twitter. It's at Jeff Wagner 620. I've got a a link to this story and the video. This happened about a year ago at uh, in Kenosha. And you will remember, you will perhaps remember the the story. Um, Lunchroom at, you know, uh, the Kenosha at Kenosha Lincoln Middle School. Okay. And what happens is, and there's a video uh, of this. And what happens is there's a fight that breaks out in the lunchroom. And what you can see happen is it, it's pretty clear here. The video only lasts about 30 seconds or so. But what happens is you've got all these different cafeteria tables. And there's one girl that gets up from a table and walks over to another table and starts saying something to the people who are seated at that table. And one girl at the second table then gets up and pushes the girl that came over to the first table. And then the girl that came over to the first the table in the first place, she pushes her back, and then it's off to the races. These two are swinging at each other. So what happens then is you have a number of, of grown-ups that are in the school lunchroom who start running to break up the fight. And what happens is one of the one of the, the people that is in the lunchroom at the time is a, a Kenosha police officer who is also working as like a school security person. And he's in the lunchroom and he runs. And you can see this on the video. And again, the, the video, it's like 30 seconds. So what happens is he runs into the middle to, to break up th- this fight. And he kind of he grabs one of the two girls and he's kind of like pulling her off of of the other one and they're pushing and they're shoving and he kind of gets pulled down by the the one of the gals he's trying to restrain at least that's what it looks like to me and as he's, he's going down he like bangs his head on on the table because he's now put himself in the middle of this he's trying to stop the fight so what he then does is he flips the, the girl, it's a 14-year-old girl who was one of the two that was involved in the fight. He flips her over on her front, and then he goes to handcuff her. And in, in handcuffing her, he puts his, his knee on, like, the back of, of, of her neck. Now, this isn't a George Floyd thing where it's on for, like, eight minutes at a time. But he puts her down. He restrains her. He holds her down for, you know, approximately 20 seconds, give or take. And he, he handcuffs her. And then, you know, gets her up and she is walked out. He 
is subject of all this criticism. Um, you know, how, how dare you, you do this, and how dare you restrain th- this, this child? And he ends up quitting, his, not the Kenosha Police Department, but he ends up quitting his job you know, as a school security person because he, he feels he's not getting any support. The matter is reviewed by the district attorney's office. No criminal charges are brought uh, against him. Well, the latest development is that the officer, as well as the school and the um, city, have now been sued by the family of the child, alleging that uh, the girl was 12. I said 14, but she was 12, alleging that this was excess force, that he was used unreasonable and excessive force, that he acted with malice and in reckless disregard of her rights when he restrained her during the lunchroom fight by placing his knee on her neck for more than the back of her neck for more than 20 seconds. Uh, The claim is that the girl has been treated for nearly a year for physical and emotional injuries that she sustained. She is not healed um, from the trauma, but she is now ready to stand up for herself. The attorney says we're looking for justice. Well, they're also probably looking for money as well. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. Again, I know this happened a year ago, but yesterday, you know, interestingly enough, you know, a day before a Milwaukee police officer loses his life by chasing a suspect, there's this lawsuit that is now filed saying the Kenosha Police Department officer, who was again working as the school security person, used excessive force in breaking up this particular fight. 855-616-1620. That is the old National Bank talk and text line. You can sue anybody for anything. There, there's no question about it. That's one of the things that was one of my takeaways from, from law school. You can sue anybody from anything. My question is, how will a jury react to this? There is no question that, in again, in this struggle, the officer does as he's trying to, again, he's in the middle of this, this scrum, and the kids are going after each other, in the middle of trying to restrain the girl. There's no question he does flip her over, and you can see this, and then he restrains her. He's got his knee for a matter of seconds on the back of her neck trying to subdue her while he puts the handcuffs on her. All right. Is this the stuff that lawsuits are made of? Or at least I should say, are this is this the stuff that big verdicts are made of? 855-616-1620. We discuss in a moment. See, to me, this story is, is like no good deed goes unpunished. You have the, these two kids that start wailing at each other in this school lunchroom. I mean, and, and if you look at the videotape, they're going after each other. They're pushing each other, and now it, it's a major fight. They're swinging. You've got this off-duty cop working as a school security person. He runs up, and he does what he is, I think, supposed to do. He wants to stop the kids from hurting each other. He gets in the middle of it. That doesn't stop him. It's not like they're stopping. He then grabs the, the one kid. They're still trying to get after each other. She's swatting. She's fighting him. They go down. Um, he ends up hitting his head on the side of the uh, on the side of the table. I think of, of the three of them. Looked to me like he sustained the most significant injury. He flips her over and he restrains her. There's no question about it. It's not George Floyd where you've got you know a, a, a knee on his on a neck for like six or seven minutes. He has a knee on her neck. There's no question about it. He's restraining her while he's handcuffing her. The whole thing lasts. I mean, fifteen, twenty seconds or whatever. And now this is the the girls demanding justice. Her lawyers filed a lawsuit. If you can't tell, I'm sort of uh, 
again, you can sue anybody, but what, what, what is an officer supposed to do? Are you supposed to just let these kids beat the crap out of each other? Jeff, I have a family member who works as a teacher in Kenosha Middle School, not the same one of the story, but they have issues with fights. He's scared to go to work each day because he's expected to keep order in the school while also having the threat to get sued if he reacts in the wrong way. He's in a lose-lose situation. Let him fight and you're careless. Break it up and you cause trauma. How do we expect people to work or live like this? Good point. Jim in Bayview. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. I remember this incident very well. I watched the entire video. And first of all, I would tell the audience that this child was very large. She was not a little petite girl. And what I told the screener was that if I would have been the one that did this in the school, my dad would have marched me down to the school the very next day, and I would have been made to apologize to the security man and everybody else that I, you know, messed up that day. My parents taught us very good manners and to be respectful. And my dad never would have had any idea to sue anybody over my misconduct. Yeah, Jim, isn't that the truth? I mean, you sit there and you say, okay, you get in a fight in the school lunchroom and you have whether, mm-hmm. you know, back when I was in school, it, it wasn't, we didn't have cops or in the school, but we, you, know, you had the assistant principal. You get in a fight in the school mm-hmm. lunchroom and the assistant principal tries to break it up and you're kind of swatting at him and the two of you go down. Mm-hmm. You're right. My, there's no way my father would have said we're suing the assistant principal. It would have been, you're, you're mm-hmm. lucky you're not suspended for being in the fight. <laughs> Exactly. So, you know, I, yeah. people just need to get better manners and, and not be so angry. Yeah. You know, well, thanks for the call. Or, or, or looking for settlements or, or looking for, for cash or, or whatever. And, and by the way, I mean, I guess it'll come out in the trial. I don't get the sense. I, the, what you hear is she's traumatized. Oh, she was upset. Well, okay. I mean, there was probably some trauma that was going on. She wasn't so traumatized that she didn't, you know, get in the middle of the fight. And this, look, it does look to me like, the, the other girl went over and precipitated it, said something, but the first push came from the, and, and they're going after each other. I mean, it's, it's just, it's this, it's this brawl. And what do you do? I mean, seriously, this is the problem. What do you do if you're an administrator? What do you do if you're the school security guy? Do you just, you just let them fight it out and, until, you know, one of them, you know, goes down and then you know you're going to get the lawsuit? Jeff, I've taught at a middle school for a number of years. Read me to begin talking about the behavior that precipitates the use of force. What should adults do to manage this? We spend a lot of times talking about lawsuits because of use of force, but we should spend even more time talking about the behavior that occurs on a day-to-day basis in our schools. Some sense of order needs to be made, and things can quickly get out of control if um, that happens. I think we need to look at the bigger picture on how we can change the behavior within schools rather than just what happens, you know, Afterwards, um, yeah, Jeff, when have the days gone when parents used to give teachers permission to discipline their kids? Um, yeah, Jeff, what would you have done if your child had a knee over his or her throat? Well, the knee wasn't over the throat. The knee was over the back of the neck. I watched the video, and it seemed in excess. This is a tough one. Kids fight, and they have been since you and I have been in high school. Well, okay, kids fight, but there's an expectation that you're going to break it up. Now, look, I again, I, I understand that, you know, could— 
you, you look at the George Floyd video. The guy had his knee on the back of the guy's neck for minutes and minutes and minutes. I watch this video. I see an out-of-control kid who's in the middle of a fight. I see, including now he's the, the security guard tries to intervene. He then, you know, the kid isn't stopping because the security guard is there. So the security guard is now in the middle of it. I see him flip him over. I see him restrain her for what strikes me as a reasonable period of time in order to get the matter under control. It's not like he's got his uh, knee on her neck for a minute or two minutes or five minutes, he gets her quiet, he gets her under control, he gets her handcuffed, then he picks her out, picks her up, and he walks her out. Um, I, I guess you, you, know, you can argue, well, no, he should have just, you know, let them wail away at each other and things, but I don't think that that's being responsible um, either. Uh, 855-616-1620. Jeff, I believe all this is related to lack of parenting, no respect for authority, or being held responsible for your behavior. Um, well, I, I don't know. I, it, it would not have, it would not, I guess, again, I, I think there's always been fights in school, I, I guess, but the question is, how do people respond to this? Um, Jeff, what would have been correct? Well, I, that's, I think that's a fair question. What are they supposed to do? Are they not supposed to intervene and try to pull them off? And then once, again, what looks like happens to me is once the officer gets in the middle of this, he, he goes down with the, the kids. It's not like he picks her up and body slams her. They're, they're in the struggle, and you've got both of them that are trying to get at each other, and the officer's in the middle and goes down. Like I say, my, I think he took the hardest whack of this because he hits his head on the way down um at some point in time you know what what do you end up doing jeff we are living in a different world these kids don't listen nowadays um it's because of smartphones and social media i don't know i think it may be more complicated than that and and look the, the lawsuits there courts will end up deciding you know one of our texts when it says let's just let the kids beat the you know what out of each other i think the parents aren't looking for the parents are looking for cash plain and simple no the lawyer says they're they're looking for justice for the, this this kid that was traumatized i guess a jury will decide on that during the break i, I watched that video again and if, if you want to see it it's you can follow me on twitter it's at jeff wagner 620 i've got a link to the story and I, I mean i watched the video again and i'm I just I'm sitting there thinking, what is the school security guy supposed to do? I mean, really, unless you're just going to let these kids wail on each other. Yeah, he he restrains her. There, there's no question about it. Also, by the way, she doesn't look too hurt to me as he's picking her up and hauling her off in, in handcuffs. And if, if you don't get in the fight in the first place, this doesn't happen. If you comply, if you don't continue to struggle, this doesn't happen. But once you're at this stage where you need to use a modicum of force to stop these kids from killing each other, well, I, I think... The, the idea that, oh, no, this is going to be excessive force. All I'm telling you is if I'm on that jury, I, I think the answer is pretty clear to this. Jeff, I work for the Kenosha School District, and I can tell you, as someone who travels to every school, a number of these kids are out of control, and everyone, including teachers and administration, are afraid to do anything. The kids are running the buildings, and they know it. It has increased tenfold since the whole COVID issue when the kids were at home for two years. Now they're returning to schools after having no adult supervision or respect for others for two years. Yeah, um, Jeff I think the guy did his job, just that simple. He resolved the conflict quickly 
and properly. Jeff, I think they should counter sue. Well, that's, um, you know, I, I, I don't know. But um, I, it's my, my understanding is, like I say, the, the officer, the, the school district, where well, I have this statement here, uh, the school district is, is not just rolling over. I mean, I think the school district intends, it's like, oh, no, we're, I think the school district has made it very, very clear that they intend to, you know, uh, fight this, you know, situation. I think that they're, um, you know, their point is, hey, we're, we're just not going to give in to this particular demand. And I, I, I say, you know, stand your ground. Now, if a jury decides that that's not the right thing, and if the jury decides, oh, this is this terrible thing, well, okay, then my guess, my response is, you know, what are you going to do, and how do you expect other people's children to, you know, end up being safe at school? Um, let's see, the statement from late Monday afternoon, this is from the attorney representing Kenosha Unified, and the um, officer says, these officers are in the Kenosha United, you know, the officers are in Kenosha Unified Schools because it is the district's highest priority to provide a safe and secure learning environment for its students and staff. We will vigorously defend the Kenosha Unified School District and the officer in this action. And I think that's great. Instead of just, oh, you know, we're being accused of, you know, violating the, the rights. And, and you know, because of the different races that were involved, you know there's going to be an element of that that's there. I think the Kenosha Unified School District deserve a lot of credit for saying, you know what, you know, we, you've got these officers that are here, they're trying to maintain order, and we're not going to allow them to be second-guessed in this fashion. Like I say, if I was on the jury, I know what I think about the case. Okay, let, let's let's name some names. I, uh, I, I, if you're listening to the twelve o'clock hour, we, we talked about the, this horrible situation with the Milwaukee police officer being shot, and we were alluding to the fact that the the individual who shot him, the nineteen year old, was in court yesterday and had been sentenced to one hundred and twenty days in the House of Correction, but had then been put on on probation, and at the time, I was a little bit reluctant to actually mention the 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 murderer's name, also the, the judge that was involved, because sometimes, again, you sometimes just because it shows up on the, the CCAP report, it, it, sometimes it's different. I, I'm now comfortable going with this. A number of outlets are reporting it, including the, the Journal Sentinel. The suspect in the officer's shooting has been identified as 19-year-old Terrell I. Thompson of Milwaukee. The Journal Sentinel says Thompson's family also confirmed the information later today. Thompson had just been in court Monday morning for sentencing on two misdemeanor <clears throat> hit and run cases, one of which was dismissed in a plea agreement. Each charge had carried a maximum penalty of six months in jail. <clears throat> Milwaukee County Circuit Court Judge Christopher D. And let me just say this. Um, Judge D is is not by any means one of the worst judges in Milwaukee County. There, there's there's lots of worst judges in Milwaukee County, but this was him. Milwaukee County Circuit Judge Christopher D sentenced Thompson to four months in the House of Correction on these two hit and runs, but then stayed that sentence and put him on a year of probation instead. That meant Thompson would only serve jail if he failed on probation. Well, let me just say, as an aside, that that didn't work very long. It wasn't much of a deterrent because he got put on probation, and the first thing he does is he goes out and he holds up somebody on 37th and 
Good Hope, and then later on gets involved in an incident where he shoots the police officer and ends up, you know, his own losing his own life. And they're still not saying whether it was a police officer shot or self-inflicted. But obviously, the probation didn't work in the first case. So there's two hit and runs, and what they did is they 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 dropped one. <clears throat> as part of the plea bargain, but they did what they call a read-in. They say, okay, you can take this into account for sentencing. In the first case, a man called Brown Deer Police in January of 2021 after his car was hit by a Mercury that ran a red light at North Sherman Boulevard and West Bradley Road. The man said he saw a man run away from the crash with a black backpack. While talking with the officer, a woman approached and said she was Thompson's mother and said he had fled the scene because he was afraid of a man chasing him and wanted to go to the hospital. Okay, six months later. Thompson again was arrested in a hit-and-run crash. A woman called Milwaukee police to say an SUV with no license plates, an SUV with no license plates, had crashed into her at North Sherman Boulevard and West Congress Street. She followed the SUV and saw it get into another crash near North 49th Street and West Hope Avenue. The SUV pulled over on West Congress Street and spoke with the woman who had been following him, identifying himself as Terrell and giving her a phone number according to the criminal complaint. Officers found the damaged SUV nearby and arrested Thompson, who provided the same number that was given to the female driver. Thompson was charged with both cases in July of 2021. The Journal Sentinel reached out to Judge D. The judge's clerk said he was on the record hearing other cases and not making comments at this time. Last year, Thompson was also the subject of a temporary restraining order. A woman said he was harassing her with repeated texts and phone calls, threatening to kill her, and sending her photos of his gun and a gun owned by his mother, according to court records. A temporary restraining order was granted, but the judge dismissed the request for a long-term restraining order after the woman did not appear in court for the hearing. Um, okay, so there you you have the, the background on this situation. And bottom line is, Milwaukee police officer is dead. And I think it is fair to say that putting people on probation. Now, look, I understand these are two hit-and-run cases. And there's there's worse stuff that, that happens. These, these were both misdemeanors. So these aren't, these aren't felonies. I don't know whether this this guy had a criminal record as a juvenile or not. I I don't know that because we protect juveniles and juvenile records are sealed, so you can't find those out. But we we do know this. Now, I don't know that, you know, if I'm the judge, these are misdemeanor cases, do you put put him in, you know, jail for a year or two? I I don't know about that. But we, we do know that by not incarcerating him at all, by just simply putting him on straight probation, number one, it did not deter him in any way, shape, or form from going out and committing another crime. So you didn't do the public a favor, you didn't do the defendant a favor, and you didn't do certainly the society a favor. So that, that, that's number one. By not putting him in jail at all, there was no deterrent. Number two, the other thing that we know is that if there had been at least even a little bit of a jail sentence, 
you know, who knows what would have happened down the line? Who knows if he got out after 60 days, whether he would have gone back to, you know, sticking up people and getting involved in, in incidents with the police and pulling out a gun and shooting at cops. Who knows whether he would have done that or not? But the one thing we do know is that if the judge had sent him to the House of Correction yesterday, for 30 or 60 days, he wouldn't have been in a position to do what he did last night, and a police officer would be alive. And that's just the reality of the situation. So that that's kind of the background. And like I say, it's just that this story, whether it's the lack of respect for police or whether it's running from the cops or whether it's everybody's got a gun and everybody's willing to use it or the criminal justice system that just completely breaks down and doesn't hold people accountable, no matter how you want to look at this, bottom line is you have a Milwaukee police officer who's dead. You can't bring him back. And it's just an absolute tragedy, and it raises, again, these questions that we ask about how much more of this will the community take. All right, when we come back, I've got a lighter topic for the last segment of the program. Don't go anywhere. This is Jeff Wagner. A couple listeners wanting to defend the judge, saying, well, it was just misdemeanors. You you shouldn't blame the judge. As I I said, I don't think think Christie is, is... by far and away, not the worst judge in Milwaukee County. But at the same time, I, this is one where, I don't know, 30 days in the House of Correction, 60 days, get him off the street. Obviously, they misread the case badly because probation certainly wasn't a deterrent. If 12 hours later, he's holding up people at gunpoint and then shooting a police officer. All right, want to switch gears. Only got a couple minutes for this. Movie theaters have been trying desperately to get people back in the theaters. You know, people stopped going to movies with COVID. Now you've got a number of, of first releases that end up getting released on streaming services, either at the same time they're being released into the theaters or... Or, you know, shortly after they're in the theaters. So, I mean, theaters are trying to get people back in, which is why I think this is so interesting. This is not Marcus. This is AMC Theaters, which is one of the big national theater chains. Actually, the country's largest movie theater chain. Yesterday, they announced plans to price tickets based on seat location within the auditorium. Now, you know, you know, you you go. I don't know how it is when you go to the movies, but when I go there, you 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 go up, you buy the ticket. You know, the ticket doesn't matter. You know, if, if it's seven bucks or ten bucks or whatever it is, then, you know, you get to see the screen. And, and some some theaters are just sitting where you want other theaters. You know, they show you where the available tickets are and you, you can pick it out. But it doesn't matter. You pay your seven, eight, ten dollars, whatever it is. And you, you can sit wherever you want as long as it's a vacant seat. Well, what AMC is going to do is. They're going to change the pricing. It's called Sightline at AMC. Here is the deal. Um, the most common seats are standard Sightline available for the traditional cost of the ticket. If you're willing to sit in the front row, it would be at a lower price. And if you want to sit in the middle of the auditorium, preferred Sightline, they are at a premium to standard Sightline seats. So what you would do is it, it's going to cost you more. Let's say there's 20 rows in the movie theater, and you like to see it sit in, in the middle. You don't want to be up close, and you don't want to be too far back. You want to be in those premium seats in the middle. You are going to have to pay more money. Our number, only got a couple minutes, 855-616-1620. That's the old National Bank talk and text line. 
I, maybe this movie theater knows what they're doing. And again, this is the largest chain. But I cannot imagine a worse idea if you're trying to lure people back. I mean, look, when, when I go to a movie theater, there, first of all, it's, it's kind of a chore to go to the movies. Let, let's face it. You've got, you know, the expense of buying the tickets. Then you've got the way overpriced, you know, popcorn and the giant Nestle Crunch Bar and the watered-down Diet Cokes and stuff like that. So, I mean, it's a challenge to get people in. And so you're willing to – you mean to tell me, for example, that if I go to a movie theater and the theater is half empty – or three-quarters empty, I'm not going to be able to sit in rows if the premium seats are rows 9 through 14, for the sake of argument. I'm not going to be able to sit in rows 9 through 14 unless I'm willing to pay extra money for this. Have they lost their minds? Jeff, sports arenas do it. Why shouldn't a movie theater do it? Because movie theaters aren't sports arenas. And yes, I I understand if you want to sit courtside at a Bucks game, it's going to cost you more than if you're going to sit in the nosebleed seats. But that's because of demand for the sporting event. Movies, look, if if movie theaters can do it, I mean, that's fine. I'm a free market guy. I'm just saying I don't see this working. And to me, this would be a reason that I wouldn't go to AMC theaters because, wait, if if there's vacancies in the row I want to sit in, I'm not going to be able to sit there unless I shell out, you know, a dollar or two more for the ticket so the seats are going to go vacant. I, I'm just saying that's not how traditionally we've gone to movies. And given the fact that it's enough of a challenge to try to get people back to the movies, I can't. I just can't imagine that they're going to get enough money that's going to be generated to make up for this, um, for the the bad feelings they're going to get. Jeff, they should drop all prices, seat price, soda, popcorn, etc. I'd be more willing to pay $5 for a seat and go way often than once a year for the $12 to $15 ticket. Well, that is, see, that's the other question, you know. I would imagine a lot for the movies that, that their real profit center probably isn't the price of, of the ticket. The, it's getting people in so then they, they buy the popcorn and they buy the Nestle's Crunch Bar and they buy the giant thing of Milk Duds where I suspect that they make a ton of money. This is something that it seems to me is going to discourage people to go. And, and like I say, if, if, I, if I go and my choice is, well, you got to spend extra money or otherwise these seats are going to be vacant. It's like, well, no, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that. Jeff, I agree with you. Also, who's going to enforce this? The 15-year-old teenager working concessions? Yeah, just imagine. Well, that's another, that, that's kind of a fair thing. So when you get the sort of unruly 20-somethings who have decided that they're going to sit in row 14 in the half-empty theater, even though they've only paid to sit in the front row, yeah, then you're going to send the the teenage usher in to tell them that they've got to uh, get out of there. Jeff, if they're trying to lure people back, it would be $1 tickets and $2 beers. They're trying to gouge the consumer like every other large corporation. We'll pay it because we'll always do. No, I don't think so. Jeff, this is another reason why seeing movies in theaters is getting increasingly annoying. There's no way I would go to see a movie at AMC now. Now, I don't think they've rolled it out yet at all the AMC theaters, but this is kind of the wave of the future. Jeff, I just wait until it comes out on DVD 
or the streaming service. Jeff, I'm a huge movie buff. However, I rarely go to theaters to watch a movie due to the excessive prices for the ticket and popcorn and drinks. This is just another reason to stop going to the um, the movies. Uh, Jeff, my son went to the movie theater last week. The family in front of him spent 75 bucks on concessions. Yeah, I, I think, you know, that that's where the profit is. I mean, that's where it, it's kind of like you, you go into a restaurant and the food mark, the markup on the food is, is one thing, but the markup on the drinks and the desserts is, is something completely different. That's why they, they want you to stop at the bar and, and, and have a drink because that's where they make all their money. Look, I, I'm a free market guy. If AMC thinks that this is going to work, I, I say go with God. I'm just saying from my perspective, from my perspective, I'm not paying extra to sit, you know, in row 10 instead of row 8. And if it means that I can't sit in my preferred seat, then I think I am going to wait for it to come out on a streaming service. Not too many movies I need to see on opening night anymore.